Welcome back to another episode of the Duke Basketball Junkies. I'm Michael Exet here with my co-host Peter Rowe. How you doing, Peter? What is going on? We're a couple uh, two days post the uh, NCAA championship game, and it was bittersweet as it always is to watch another team cut down the nets. And uh, it was a joy to watch. The game was yeah. a joy to watch. I love the Villanova team. I love the way they I play basketball. Love Jay and Wright. I love Dante up. DiVincenzo. Yeah, talk about talk about coming up. Did Dante DiVincenzo remind you of somebody three years ago in the championship game? A little Except bit he was off better. the bench. <laughs> he was better. <laughs> Reminded me of Grayson, but then, of course, Dante's played 30 minutes a game all year and yeah. is clearly one of their three or four best players. Uh, Grayson kind of got subjugated the whole year and then emerged like even more unlikely and in less minutes you know he had that one little run DiVincenzo scored 30 points yeah and he looked looked like the best player on the floor easily that block was sick the two handed block he had two 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 impressive blocks yeah hats off to that kid do you think he's going to go out to the NBA now because he wasn't projected to be it wouldn't shock me but I would say no yeah Uh, Kansas went down the Villanova um, by, by a lot. By a lot, yeah. It, it made me feel as if, even if we had beaten Kansas, that Villanova was probably the better team. I, I really wish we could have played them. I think we might have caused them some, some real problems. Right. But, you know, in a way that Kansas couldn't. But, well, but, I, also Villanova would have caused us a lot of problems. Yeah. I mean, the, we, we never opened up yeah. a 10-point lead on Kansas in that game, and Villanova basically ran away from them. Ran them out they of the started gym. off twenty two and four. They ran them out of the gym. Yeah, yeah. It, well, they got close. Even it was. It never know, seemed like yeah. any game that Villanova played was in doubt. Yeah, they won every game by by a nice margin. Uh, so congratulations to Jay Wright and the Villanova Wildcats. Their third national championship since. Uh, yeah. Since since the eighties. And um, I, I did want to say something before we move on. Yeah. Just in terms of a measure of. Um, a sense of perspective. If we rewind the clock three or four years, I want to say that uh, NC State kid Abu sinks a last-minute bucket against Villanova, who was a one seed. They lose to NC State in the second round. Remember that Villanova Piccolo girl? She was playing Piccolo and she was crying. <laughs> and then <laughs> everyone's like, wow, Jay Wright, he can never get out of that first weekend. I mean, is, is he a good coach? And all of a sudden, three years later, people are like, wow, Jay Wright is one of the best of all time. Yeah, Jay, things just things just change just like that because people put so much stock into how you do in this silly little tournament. Yeah, it's relatively short sample size. They they did prove out in this tournament uh, pretty well, but they easily could have lost to North Carolina in that title game. Uh, they and they easily could have won in in all these years where they got knocked out and upset. Yeah. Um, and Tony Bennett's probably he's in that sort of category right now. Of guys yeah. that, you know, but yeah, it, I actually did bring that up. Happens to everybody in in reference to the yeah. whole Tony Bennett narrative. Okay, so I was just thinking, like we, you know, our our short term results the last couple of years in the tournament haven't been that great, but you know, it, you know, anyhow, we, we, as we're still wrestling with these uh, feelings and struggling on uh, how to gain perspective, we thought it would be a great time to get uh, our old friend Ricky Price uh, on the podcast. He's graciously agreed to come on again. He's going to give us. You know, uh, probably way too much of his time, more more than we deserve, uh, and uh, it's a treat every time. So I hope you guys enjoy listening to the interview. We're about to give him a call. Um, 
just to remind everyone who doesn't know, who's a newer Duke fan, Ricky was a four-year player from 94 to 98 with Duke. He was a McDonald's All-American coming in. He was a second or third team All-ACC player his sophomore year. Ended up tailing off, uh, having a slightly disappointing end to his uh, Duke career, which he opened up about in, in a lot of candor in an earlier interview episode of uh, DBJ. Uh, so go back and, and check that one out after listening to this if you haven't already. Uh, he ended up having a really good pro career. He runs a uh, like a kids training uh, basketball facility, a coaching uh, place called Game Ready Skills and Development in Charlotte. He'll plug it uh, usually at the end of our interview, but I thought we'd give him give a shout out to Game Ready Skills and Development. Um, he's doing real well with that, and uh, we're proud of him. We're proud to have him on the podcast. And without further ado, here we go. Let's get to it. All right. I'm here with uh, here with Peter again, and uh, we were just we've been anxious to uh, discuss the season with you. We didn't we kind of wanted to get back get back with you mid season, but just kind of never got around to it. Uh, I guess the the first question is, you know, we haven't talked to you since after the PK80 tournament. Uh, how do you think uh, how do you think the season went? What were your sort of overall general general thoughts uh, looking back on the year? Uh, Take us, take us with you on, on uh, your, your mental process as you were watching this team. So many feelings, man. Um, you know, I thought overall it was a good season. Um, it accomplished a lot. You know, obviously at Duke, standards are a little bit different. You know, we don't want to, you know, win 20 games. We don't want to make it to the tournament. You know, our, our goal is to always win the national championship. And, uh, you know, anything but that. You know, can I guess be considered a failure, but you can't look at it like that all the time because it's very hard to win a championship. The biggest thing that stood out, you know, for me is, um, you know, is the one and done process. You know, does that process really work? And, you know, lately, you know, I think older teams, juniors and seniors, upperclassmen, you know, have been faring well in the tournament. And the one and dones haven't done, you know, as well. And so, you know, how do we still get the best players but still, you know, able to compete for a championship? And so I think, you know, Coach has to really think about, uh, you know, how he's going to navigate through that in the coming years. Maybe it's not even an issue anymore if uh, Adam Silver changes the rule uh, and eliminates one and done. But, you know, for now, I just think we struggle um, to win with the talent that we have. And I think this year should have been at least a Final Four appearance with the talent that we have, but, you know, I think the one-and-done situation makes it makes it difficult to, to navigate. Hey, Ricky, this is Peter. How you doing? Doing pretty good, buddy. Good to hear from you. Yeah, you too. Uh, did you feel wistful? Did you feel wistful at all um, just watching Villanova? When I, when I saw them, I was sort of like, you know, Villanova's very much like how we were sort of, you know, a few years back. They have talent on their team. Uh, but not talent that's going to play one year and then go. And they just had that continuity. They have the upperclassmen leadership. They also have, you know, three-point shooters all over the place um, and play sort of a modern game. Um, I just, I just, I just thought Villanova was uh, reminiscent of how how we were. Yeah, Villanova is really good. I mean, they were the best team pretty much the whole year. You know, top five in the polls every year. I thought that they played in a weak uh, conference schedule, 
But, I mean, they were official. I mean, they have everything needed. And uh, they had an older team. Yeah. Kevin Brunson, it's older, you know, Booth, those guys. Then they had a nice mix of, you know, younger guys with, uh, with Spellman. But even with Spellman, you know, he's a redshirt freshman, so he's really been there two years. And then Jay Wright, you know, runs a kind of like a pro scheme where, you know, he, he'll get his guard to post. He puts Jalen Brunson to post a lot. You never really see that in college to get smaller guys in foul trouble. And then, you know, they remind me of the Dallas Mavericks or even the Golden State Warriors team where they just proficient, you know, and very efficient three-point shooting team. I mean, they just really shoot the hell out of basketball. And, you know, as a result, they just punished everybody. I think they beat everybody in the tournament by double digits and just destroyed Michigan in the finals. They were well-deserving of a national championship. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree. Um, and, and I was surprised to see Brunson was drawing double teams when, when he was posting. Um, so there was certainly that. Uh, how do you how do you feel a Duke uh, Villanova game in the Final Four would have uh, played out? Do you think they would have torched the the zone zone D or you know? That's a good question. I think their experience, you know, eventually would have uh, would have uh, got them to win against us. I mean, we would have to play a perfect game to beat them. Yeah, would have punished them inside. But Villanova has a toughness factor too that I don't think that that, that I think would have bothered us as well. Um, but it's been interesting to see. But after seeing what I saw, Villanova had the best team. But I would have loved to see us play against them in the Final Four. You know, that Kansas game is tough to watch. You know, obviously, uh, you know, I thought we, we had that game one up three with, you know, 30-some seconds to go. And then uh, with the ball. The boy hits that three. Yeah, with the ball. The boy hits that three to tie it up. And I knew if we got, you know, went to overtime in uh, – and uh, in that hostile environment, we wouldn't win. And sure enough, you know, they pulled away in overtime. So it was tough to swallow. Yeah, it's a, I, I, I never really developed confidence in – I had a lot of confidence in the overall level of talent on our team, but I never really developed complete confidence that they were playing incredible team basketball. The defense improved a lot. I think one of the great sort of accomplishments of the year is that that zone defense became pretty pretty darn effective – uh, especially against non-elite, you know, teams. But ultimately, I, I still felt as if the team didn't quite come together like the best Duke teams do. Uh, and I thought we were going to sidestep that anyways because of our talent, perhaps, if we won that Kansas game. But I think the Villanova game proved how much better they were. Like, if we had played them, they, they really took care of Kansas, you know? Yeah, and probably. Not everything even went well yeah. for them. They, I, th- I thought Kansas actually played yeah. pretty well against Nova. Um, well, no, yeah. Kansas wasn't that good. And I knew we could beat Kansas. They were short, man. They had to shoot incredibly well to beat us. And that's what they did. Malik Newman had the game of his life. Right. Uh, and they shot the ball incredibly well from three. You know, Wendell Carter got in foul trouble. But having said that, we just talked about this. We were up <laughs> with the ball up three with 30 seconds to go, you know, with a chance to win that. And, you know, Trayvon Duvall, you know, made a couple mistakes, especially at the end of the game. Right. The reason why number 10, what's his, what is his name, Sp- number 10 for Kansas? Speed McKaylook. Yeah, the reason why he was open is because Trey Duvall gambled at the top of the key on the zone. In that situation, you just got to stay at home. Right. Stay at home on the zone and then get a hand up on shooters. He gambled. They, they kicked the ball to the wing. Wendell Carter was in a two-on-one situation. Ball faked to the corner, which Wendell Carter did a good job, but he left him open, you know, for three, and, and he knocked it down. At the end of the day, guys, I just thought our talent was undeniable, but we didn't have the right mix of talent. 
And, um, you know, I just think that you have to have the talent, but they all have to fit together. Two reasons, you know, I don't think Tray- Trayvon Duvall was the point guard for this team, the right point guard for this team. And then secondly, I think we struggled playing with two bigs. You know, at the end of the day, Coach K doesn't really want to play with two bigs. He'd rather play with a hybrid four and one traditional big man. Playing with two bigs kind of stymies what we want to do offensively. And even though we have some good things happen, you know, Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley never really played well at the same time. You know, it was always kind of on and off. And so, um, you know, we got to get back to getting that hybrid four and playing the way the coach really wants to play after the two bigs. Hey, Ricky, can I follow up on that uh, Trayvon Duvall point? Um, I, you know, I, I hate to sort of pile on on him. He had, he had his best game of the year in yeah, the Kansas I mean, game, but he was still, fan, yeah. He was fantastic yeah. offensively, um, and if he doesn't have that offensive game, maybe we're not even, you know, maybe it's not even a game at the end. Uh, but, you know, we, I continue to watch a decent amount of basketball after we lost. Uh, you know, Loyola Chicago made that crazy run, and their coach is like a disciple of uh, Rick Majerus, and they've got these adages written up on, the, on, the, on their practice facility. And one of them is defense is played through feet and not with your hands. And I felt like Duvall, all, all year, was his footwork was, was, was almost like an afterthought, and he was always reaching with his hands, and it seemed like he was often playing defense with his, with his hands and not with his, with his feet. Um, and when I watch the UConn women's Final Four and I see them play, anytime their opponent shoots a shot, I see the girls look for an opponent to box out. And to be honest with you, the entire year I never saw Duval box out one time. Not just Duval. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, the whole, it, ex- the whole team it, it extends out to, to more and more people. Yeah. But, you know, like, n- no one play is going to determine a game or a season. But in that play that you mentioned, he gambled to double on, I believe, um, Devontae Graham, but Gary Trent was right in front of him. Uh, there was no need to gamble. If he, right. was, if he was just disappointed. There was and, no need to gamble. And, and because he did that, it, it really... It really, you know, hurt us on that on that left wing or the right wing where the shot was taken. Right. Because now he's out of the play, and there's only one person there to defend two players, which is Wendell Carter, who's out of position anyway, trying to guard two guards. Mm-hmm. And so you got to have the presence of mind to stay at home. The biggest thing with Trayvon Duvall is the fact that he couldn't make perimeter jump shots. And so now the game plan is to leave him wide open, and now you can sag down on guys like Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley because he's not a threat. From, uh, from from three-point range. And, and that's against what Coach has had. Coach K has always had, think of every guard for the last 10 to 15 years. Maybe Sean Dockery, you know, uh, it was one. But other than that, we've always had point guards and guards that can shoot. Every last one of them. And because his inability to make, uh, to take and make, you know, three-point shots, that really hurt us offensively. And we were one shooter away, maybe two shooters away from winning a championship. And I can't help but think about one name, Frank Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would have been know, nice. If Frank Jackson is on this year's team, you know, we don't have those issues. And it goes back. Trayvon Duval is an incredible talent. He's a great kid. I've met him a couple times, spent a little time with him, good kid. But he just wasn't the right guy to lead this team. If we have Frank Jackson to come back, you know, and we don't recruit Trayvon Duval, you know, I think this team is going to fare better. Um, but like I said, we, it's not about having the right talent. you got to have the right mix of talent that complements each other. And I think this year, with having two bigs and then Trayvon Duvall, it just wasn't the right mix. 
and I think that hurt us, um, you know, all season long and certainly in the tournament. So, so two two follow up questions. One, I, I guess my my major question was, I'm sure the coaches had been banging on Trayvon the entire season. I mean, maybe not so much the shooting. I mean, you can't really improve that outside of practice, but just de- defensive principles, help defense, get running back on transition, deep, things like that. They had to have pound, pounded that into him. And was it just an issue of his his habits were different in high school or AAU and he just never quite quite adjusted in at, in the college game? Yeah, I mean, Trayvon Duvall is, a, is an incredible talent, uh, one of the most athletic point guards you'll see, kind of reminiscent to a Russell Westbrook, Derrick Rose type athleticism. But he's the type of guy that's not a one-and-done. He's more like a two-and-done. You know, I think he needs two years. Like, of all the guys, he really needs to come back. Now, he probably won't because Trey Jones is coming back, and that's Trey Jones is coming in next year. That probably won't work well. But, I mean, he really needs another year of seasoning to learn how to play the point guard position. I think if he had two or maybe three years, he'd be a surefire, you know, uh, top five, top ten pick. But, you know, and Coach talked about it all the time this year, is the youth. You know, it's, it's talent. It's youthful talent, but it's still youth. These guys have never been in these experiences. And, you know, playing the point guard position is very, very tough, especially in the ACC, especially at Duke. Coach requires a lot from that position. And I just didn't think, you know, Trayvon Duvall, you know, was ready, you know, to play the position at a high level the whole year. We, you know, he showed us glimpses and flashes, but throughout the whole year, we just didn't get that consistency that we needed. And that's not his fault. You know, I just think he needed, you know, one or two more years of seasoning. And unfortunately, I don't think he'll get a chance to get that. And if and had he been a better player at that position, being able to shoot, you know, be a better defender, better decision maker, we would have overall been better. And um, it's just unfortunate that we only had that kid for one year and not two. We, you know, we can really work with him and teach him how to play the position. Yeah, it was a unique year just seeing all the guys, uh, so many, you know, We've probably, there's no way we've ever played as high a percentage of minutes coming from freshmen as this year with Grayson being really the only experienced guy uh, and Bolden not, not quite assuming a, a starting role. Uh, you know, I, I felt like, um, what, I was just curious, what did you think of Marvin Bagley? You know, looking back at the year, he's getting all the accolades. He's going to be a, you know, a high lottery pick. Um, there were incredible strengths, but I felt watching him as if there were also pretty pretty glaring weaknesses in his game, um, which, you know, is probably because he's so young. Um, what, what did you think of him overall and sort of how he fit into the team and, uh, you know? I love Bagley. I thought he was an incredible player. I mean, think about this guy. This guy averaged 20 points and 10 rebounds as a true freshman. And we talked about this. He's actually supposed to be a senior in high school this year. He was supposed to be playing on Friday nights in a high school gym, you know, uh, uh, at the varsity level. I mean, it's incredible. There have been a lot of star status freshmen, including Jabari Parker, Jason Tatum, Luau Dean, Grant Hill, you name it. And Owen has put up the numbers that he put up. You know, he reminds me of like a Chris Bosh, Rashid Wallace, Kevin Garnett mix with the athleticism. And the, uh, and the motor. Um, but, you know, there were some weaknesses that you talked about. I mean, the reason why we had to go zone, a lot of it is because of him. You know, uh, the coaches felt like he couldn't guard 
especially in pick and roll situations. He just didn't know how to hedge and get back. And obviously in today's basketball game, the pick and roll is the play to defend and the play to run on offense. And if you can't defend that, you, you really can't run offense. And, um, or you can't play man-to-man defense, excuse me. And so we had to run zone uh, a lot. And so, but, you know, also he wasn't a great shot blocker. You know, but those things are going to come. He is going to be an all-star at the next level and uh, one of the incredible players to play at the NBA level. I mean, name me a player, you know, coming out that didn't have any weaknesses. And so, of course, he has a few, but sure. he's an incredible talent. And uh, I'm so glad we had him this year. I wish we could have a guy like him longer than a year as well, but he's just too good. It's time for him to move on, and he'll have an illustrious NBA career. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely take a Bagley every year. We can we can get a Bagley. <laughs> I mean, it it was incredible watching him. It was really like a, a privilege to have that those kind of strengths on the team. Like uh, like you said, like an Amari Stoudemire, or, you know, Kevin Garnett type of like uh, physical presence inside on the offensive boards, and especially. Uh, I, I was just a little frustrated that he didn't he didn't box out. He didn't he doesn't need to right. That's probably the he never has needed to, and uh, I think at the well, next. Most of those guys, you know, they always default on their athleticism, and yeah. I was the same way. I mean, if I can jump over you, why, why, why should I box out? Well, fundamentally, you should box out. But if I can jump over you and get the rebound anyway, why why should I box out? And and, and that's that's part of youth and talent, you know. And sometimes when you don't do things the right way, and a team like Villanova comes right behind you and does, you know. You can lose that way. And so that's why, that's what Coach talks about with, with young talent. It's just tough to coach. And uh, we really got to figure out a way how to still get the best players, still get the best players in the country, but also have enough holdovers so we can have, like the 2015 team is a perfect example of that. You know, we had Jalil Okafor, Tyus Jones, and and, uh, and Dexter Swinslow, and they were probably almost three talented guys. But you still had upperclassmen to still lead the way. Guys like Quinn Cook, Emil Jefferson, and Plumlee who have been there and done that. So we had a good, healthy mix of upperclassmen and underclassmen. This year, we didn't have that. Everybody's young, and we just got Grayson. And so it's just not the right mix, you know, needed, at least for the championship level. It's sexy. ESPN's going to talk about it. But I don't know if that resonates into a championship season with that much, uh, with that much youth. Yeah, so Grayson. Next year. Yeah, so I guess uh, the question is next year. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that all the one and dones are the same. I don't know that all of them play as young as some of the guys this year did. Like I, I I'm hoping. I mean, I don't know that the next year's recruits who are even more highly rated, I guess, uh, are more complete basketball players coming in. Um, they're they're more. Uh, I don't know. I feel like our guys were incredibly talented, but they just didn't really know how to play basketball. You know, it sounds crazy to say. Uh, but from what I've been able to gather, some of the guys next year. A few of them. A few I, of I them. I wouldn't say all of them. Yeah, w- w- Wendell Carter was a, like, a pretty complete player. And Gary Trent's game was super tight. Like, you know, I'm not saying they all didn't know how to play basketball at all. but but It's just compartmentalized. It's what, yeah, that's what it, we're talking they about. They were lacking in... Yeah. Certain areas. I mean, is, is it possible next year's class sort of has more, you know, has less uh, youth, even though they're just as young? Well, next year's class is more skilled. You know, start with Trey Jones, your point guard. I mean, he's just like Tyus Jones, but just more athletic. 
and I love Tyus Jones. I love Tyus Jones because he was a point guard. You know, he made good decisions. He was poised. He made all the right plays. He could shoot. He could pick and roll, make good decisions. I mean, he was the prototypical point guard. Trey Jones is more like a typical Duke Park point guard, you know, that we're going to have. When you talk about R.J. Barrett and um, Cam Reddish, I mean, those guys are incredibly skilled. Jason Tatum type players, Jabari Parker, Rodney Hood type players on the wing that can get you a bucket. They're skilled. They can shoot the three, get to the basket. They have no weaknesses, at least offensively. Now, defensively is where you never know what these guys are going to be. And then there's Zion Williamson, you know, a do-it-all type of guy, freak athlete. And he's not as skilled as some of those other guys, but his pure athleticism is kind of like Bagley, where he's going to overpower you because he's so athletic. And he's bigger than Bagley as well, size-wise, in terms of, you know, uh, weight-wise. And so that's more of a better mix of talent that kind of fits together. Now, what would be great, (laughs) it won't happen, but what would be great if we could get a guy like Wendell Carter to stay one more year, you know what I'm saying, and add that to those four guys, and I think, you know, you'll have something. This guy like Marquise coming off, Javin coming off, Alex O'Connell a year better. And so now you got a better mix of, you know, um, of youth and then experience. But, um, you know, next year, next year's crop of, uh, of recruits, it'll be totally different than this year's crop. Yeah, are you hearing that uh, there might be a chance one of these guys is coming back? One of the four? Absolutely not. I mean, Wendell <laughs> Carter, as much as I would love to see him stay, he's out of here. Um, you know, I think the family's already meeting with agents, as they should. Bart, you know, Bagley's already announced. Sure. And then, um, you know, Gary Trent is a top 15, top 16 turn on the drive for it. I'm sure he'll leave as well. Uh, he has to with all the guards we've got coming in next year. And then Trayvon Duvall, I think the guy who needs to stay the most, but there's really no room for him with Trey Jones and then Goldwire still being there. So all those guys have to leave. Grayson Allen obviously is the senior, but all those guys are also first-round picks. Every last one of those guys, the last time I looked, is in the top 30, which means they'll be first-round picks. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if they're all going to be first-rounders when it's all said and done, but I hope they are. You know, hope for them. You know, it's certainly a lot better to be a first-round pick and get some guarantees and uh, resources putting into your development than, than not. Um, they were they were on NBA draft night. They were all certainly first round picks. I've seen a few other drafts where the the three the three guards are second round picks, and then there are others that are just you know sort of over the map. It's, I guess it's tough to project. Early second round is still a pretty decent result, you know, these days. I guess. Um, yeah. So well, you know, you're, you're talking about great, you're Grayson and, and Trayvon and, uh, and Gary Trent, all those guys are kind of teetering, you know, late first round, early second round. I can see that. I can see that, you know, talent went out. And even though Trayvon Duvall has situations, you can wait on Trayvon Duvall because he's such an incredible talent. You can teach him how to shoot. Jason Kidd couldn't shoot. Right. He came out. Alonzo Ball obviously struggles to shoot. But then later on in, in Kidd's career, you know, he actually became a, a good to great shooter, um, especially from three. So you can wait on guys like that, um, you know. But the fact of the matter is, is that because of what we got coming in, especially if you get on the perimeter, there's just no space for you. With Reddish and Bear coming in, even a guy like Gary Trent, I, I can't see him staying knowing that those guys are coming. Yeah, and I think they only have one or maybe maybe two, but I think one one scholarship available. Uh, any other sort of wrap-up thoughts on, on, on this season? Uh, players you wanted to maybe shout out? Uh, obviously, I thought Carter had an incredible year. 
in particular, and we didn't we didn't talk about Grayson yet. Um, thoughts about his career, looking back, his uh, very interesting career. <laughs> a lot of highlights, you know, a couple of lowlights. Um, what, what do you what do you what would you say about Grayson after after his four year career? I like Grayson. You know, obviously he wears the number three, which is my favorite number, the number that I wear too. Um, he's my guy. I've had a chance to get to know him. And you're right, right, he has a lot of ups and downs in his career. You know, but here's a guy who I thought should have left after his sophomore year. He put together one of the best Duke years ever as a sophomore. He averaged 20 points. He shot 50% from the field, 40 from three, almost 90 from the line, which is incredible. And that was the time that he should have probably left. And um, but because yeah, he did, he came back and had a subpar junior year, and then we're back. And I thought he, you know, he had a good, good senior year. You know, we had about a six, seven, eight game period where you know he really struggled offensively. But you know, being the only senior, you know, with all these freshmen is is difficult. Plus, you know, hats off to Grayson. He ended up playing with a, a whole new team every year, True, every yeah. single year. So you never get, you know, you never get a chance to get to know your teammates because. As soon as you get to know them somewhat, they're out of here and a brand new 4 or 5 comes in. And so imagine how difficult that is to be able to do, and you're the lone senior, you know, playing with a, a cast of four different characters uh, in terms of uh, team-wise. But, you know, scored over 2,000 points in his Duke career, which is incredible. And so, um, you know, he'll go down as one of the one of the better Duke players and most hated Duke players uh, ever. But, um, you know... He'll certainly be rem- Yeah, he'll certainly be remembered, and I agree. After his sophomore year, would have been the best time to have come out. Yeah, clearly, his shooting uh, percentages never reached those levels again, and it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. You know, in the league, uh, do you? How do you think he's going to do in the league? He reminds me of a guy. You guys may be too young for this guy, but remember Bob Sura? Sure, love that guy. No, we were in college when he was... Bob Sir yeah. was at Florida State, and, you know, same type of guy, uh, you know, white guy, can shoot it, crazy athletic, combo guard, can play the one or two. I mean, he re- he's, he reminds me so much of Bob Sir. And uh, Bob Sir had a, you know, 10-plus year career in the league, started some, came off the bench. I see him, you know, as a guy that can do uh, do something similar. Yeah, I remember Bob Sura had some big games against uh, Duke, and he would always head Bob. When he would get hot, he would just start nodding his head, you know, feeling himself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree. Bob Sura was a great shooter, and he was, I, I feel like he was just always, his athleticism was underrated because, you know. Yeah, that was back when Florida funny. State only had one or two real good players, and they had they were starting guys like Kirk Luckman, you yeah. know, just <laughs> size they could stick into the into positions. Nowadays, Florida State's just got athletes at every position, right? That's an interesting comp. I, yeah. I, would, I would love to see Grayson in the league for 10 years. Um, I'm actually very interested yeah. interested to see how, how it plays out for him. And if he goes, like, you know, 25 to 30, he'll go to a team that's already established and pretty good. And so now he, he won't be counted on, the, you know, to produce early. You know, you can kind of bring him along slowly. I see him as, as a great bench player in the, in the NBA coming off at the combo guard position, getting buckets and running the team. Yeah, if he I mean, only he has, has to... Five. Sorry, sorry, Rick. Sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah, if he only has to no, shoot a... You know, concentrate on the more limited skill set of, you know, what he can probably accomplish in the NBA and just become a very consistent corner three kind of shooter, 
you know, I he's, think basically I think his role his freshman year at Duke. Bring energy off the bench, shoot yeah. the open three, yeah. hustle plays. Yeah, the, the the big question is can he defend, I think, you know, in the NBA. Uh you know, that's that's a question about so many guys though, right? It's a, it's hey, the, hey Ricky, can we uh move move on to uh maybe the next big uh topic? Absolutely. Uh so let me let me just uh tell you sort of what I was thinking. When Jeff Capel came to Duke in two thousand eleven very, very, very happy to see him. And then the longer he stayed, was uh, it as recent as 2011? I think it was. Yeah, I think it was 2011. He so he comes, um, and I thought he was a very senior person. And uh, the longer he stayed, I thought it was more likely that maybe there was an understanding or whatever that he might be the the, the next coach. You know, he passes up, I believe, on Arizona State and Georgia Tech. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so I was. Very, I was surprised, very surprised uh, that he that he took the pit job. Um, I listened to his uh, press conference. I mean, he seems fantastic, inspirational, smart, and genuine. Uh, were you surprised that that he went to Pitt or that he would take any job? Yeah, you know, I thought that you know he would stay um, for a couple more years, but, but we don't know how many years that is. Right. Listen, all these guys on the staff eventually they want to be head coaches. Right. And Jeff has already had a stint as a head coach at VCU and Oklahoma, and eventually, you know, he wants to be a head coach again. And, you know, he interviewed for the Georgetown job last year. He didn't get it. Um, he okay. mentioned Georgia Tech, uh, Arizona State, passed up those jobs. You know, Pitt is a good situation uh, because it's in the ACC, and, you know, they're gonna, they gave him a seven-year deal. I mean, that's unprecedented. Usually guys get four- or five-year deals. He, he got seven years. And he'll have a chance to build that program from the bottom up. And when I say bottom up, I mean, look, they're on 16 in the ACC last year. So, you don't get no worse than that. The expectation has got to be low, you know, for them. And he can go there and take his time and build his program. Obviously, we know Jeff to be one of the greatest recruiters in college basketball. I think he was voted the number one recruiter in college basketball the last two or three years. And so we know he can do that. Um, the ACC is very unforgiving uh, in terms of talent and competition. But, you know, I think he'll do a nice job. And, you know, I just think he couldn't wait any longer. And he was looking to, you know, get his own and run his own ship. And, um, you know, well-deserved. Well-deserved. And the money, right? The money doesn't hurt. Looking for security. Oh, man. What did he end up getting? I heard 2.5, possibly 3. What did they say he got? I don't don't know exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm sure it was pretty pretty good. Somewhere in the the 2.5, $3 million range per. You know, times seven. I mean, that's 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 awfully good. You know, for a college coach. Uh, so, you know, you can't you yeah. can't pass that up. And like I said, well deserved. He's he's one of the better coaches, definitely a top assistant um, in the country. And so, you know, I think that was good. Ricky, we uh um you know you, you said it can't get worse than zero and sixteen. And I I actually think it can get worse than zero and sixteen. They went zero and sixteen. And then I believe eight or nine of their players uh, filled out paperwork to transfer or to be released after Kevin Stallings was fired. Um, dur- dur- during his press conference, it seemed like the entire team or like eight or nine kids were, you know, sitting on the edge of their seats. They were sort of riveted by Capel. And listening to that press conference, I mean, if I were a kid, I would certainly want to play for him. Um, do you happen to know how his team is shaking out or if, you know, like – he he did mention when he got to VCU he had to get rid of a, a couple kids when he got there because they were you know bad apples and 
I don't know if his plan is to clean house or to, you know, get graduate transfers or whatnot. Yeah, but, uh, have you talked to him at all in the last couple of weeks about anything? Or uh, we, we just text back and forth. You know, I congratulated him on getting a job. Um, you know, Jeff's a smart guy. Obviously, you know, pitch on 16 for a reason. Coaching had everything to do with it, but so did the players. The players just weren't good enough. They weren't buying in. They just didn't have the right mix from top to bottom. And the biggest thing at Pitt is that you got to change the culture. You know, there's a culture that you have to have, a winning culture. Kind of like what Jay Wright has done at Villanova. They have a winning culture. Not only do they have good players, but the way they play, how hard they play, everyone's buying in. And if you don't get that, you're not going to have a chance to compete. And so what he has to do is, you know, I'm glad that a lot of those guys transfer out of this because those are probably the same guys that you don't want to have on your team anyway. And the story Jeff can get his guys in there that he believes, you know, will, will play well and, and, and build that culture, um, the quicker, you know, he's going to get a chance to win. Yeah. Jeff's a great recruiter, so, I mean, getting good guys in there shouldn't be an issue. It's Pitt, it's ACC, you know, I think the weather could be better, but that, <laughs> it is what it is. There's no chance that uh, Marquise Bolden's going to follow him out there or anything like that, is there? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Uh, I haven't heard anything like that as of right now. Mar- Marquise, to me, is slated to start next year. So, uh, you know, you got to sit out a year to go to Pitt, or you can be next year and be the starting center at Duke. Yeah, to me, it's a no-brainer. Sure. I mean, Pitt actually has a lot of uh, recent, like, not some success that wasn't too far in the past. They've really only been kind of bad for a couple of years. I mean, Jamie Dixon and Ben Howland basically won 20, 25 games a year there for the previous stretch of, you know, 15 years. Like They, they had some very good teams that were seeded one in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I want to say at least one year, maybe maybe two years. Actually, I went to the Duke-Pitt game this year at Pitt, and they got a ton of banners hanging up. Now, they're not all they're not Final Four or Championship banners, but, you know... Uh, there's Sweet 16 banners. Like they, there is. There's the bones there of a of a historically very good program. Uh, and if he was looking at Georgetown, probably had similar thoughts of sort of bringing it back. So I think that it's a great ramp for him to establish credibility, look like he's turning something around that may not be that that bad historically. You know. So we we wish him the best of luck, of course. Be, uh, be following the recruiting news to see who he pulls over there. Hopefully he can get some guys for next year. Is it is it too late for him uh, for next year? Is it... No, there, there are a couple guys who are floating out. Uh, they were unsigned. I don't know what type of relationship the last coaching staff had with some of those guys. Obviously that area of Pennsylvania has always been a hot spot. You know, Philly, Philly's always been known for having great hoopers to come out of there. So he's in a hotbed, you know, where he can recruit. And like I said, the last thing I worry about is recruiting in terms of Jeff Capel. We know he can do that. Now I'm saying, I mean, recruiting is a little bit different when you're selling Duke as opposed to selling Pitt. But, you know, he has a, a great ability to uh, create. We asked him about the golfing question. You know, get to know do they and talk connect about with kids, and next? that's not going to change. Is it now a race, you know? Or do you want to ask about Carol? Uh, we also wanted to ask you about uh, your boy Chris Carowell. Um uh, making a pretty big change coming from Marquette to Duke, it was announced, right? Um, Did that any, surprise you? Any insight you have to offer about what was going on there? Was he, was he just kind of waiting his turn on the Marquette staff and a spot opened up, or uh, is it? Yeah, uh, well, you know, I'm a little bit biased on this. Chris is, is, is probably one of my best friends, and so, um, but I think it's a great move. You know, 
first of all, Coach K is known for bringing assistants who play the Duke. You know, you want to have a guy who's been there and done that, who can teach the kids, you know, the same culture that, you know, they had as players. And Chris can do that. Obviously, Chris is a great recruiter. You're losing one of the best recruiters, you know, in the past three years in college basketball, Jeff Capel. So you got to bring a guy in there who can really recruit. And, um, you know, Coach also likes to splash. You know, his hires have also been not just only players, but really good players. I mean, Chris Carroll was the ACC player of the year in 2000. Right. I mean, he was a really good player. But now when he goes into home, it's not like, oh, this scrub is trying to, you know, sell me on coming to Duke. Nah, this guy actually <laughs> played at a high level. And so um, he knows the culture. He was on the staff before as a GA. And so um, to me, it was a no-brainer. Plug and play. Um, in terms of Carroll's career, it's more of a side move because he's going from assistant coach to assistant coach. It's not like he's going from assistant to head. But you're going back home to Duke. And uh, with the chance to sell, you know, the Duke name and the brand, I thought it was a great hire. You couple him with Shire, uh, Nate James, and, uh, and Nolan Smith, and you're right back. You know, get the top recruits year after year, which is what is important for this whole Duke machine to work. Hey, speaking of uh, John Shire, was 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 that a true story that Pitt interviewed John Shire, or was that not? Do you know anything about that? Just a... Yeah, I think they got the story wrong. So yeah. Okay. They were they were barking up the right tree, you know, when they when they when they wanted to get Jeff, but they got the wrong coach. They just got the they just got the you wrong know, man. Think, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, just. I think that it, it, it leaked and it was the wrong person, and uh, it was on somebody from the staff, but it was Jeff Cable, not John Shire. Right. Is is there like uh, can you speak to sort of the the politics of the former players on the assistant coaching staff like uh, in terms of a sort of rank order and who's in position is it is it something that's openly talked about and acknowledged does does Nate James is, you know Nate James and uh, Shire were both sort of announced what the, as co 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 associate co coaches yeah you know the tops of the assistants is. Is that possibly something that rankles Nate wrong because he's been there longer and he's older? Like, what do you know? What goes into sort of? Um, I, I guess I'm not sure what I'm asking, but uh, do you guys openly talk about maybe who's sort of thought of more highly by Coach K or who's sort yeah. of coaching stars? I mean, I or think, you know, yeah, I think Nate, you know, got that title primarily because he's been there the longest. You know, Nate's been there now. Ooh, it might be what twelve years, thirteen years. Long time, certainly the longest. And he played for like right. six so, or seven years too, right? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And so you know, just based on that seniority, you want to give him that title. John Sire's done a good job, so they're both associate head coaches. Nolan is still young, running the system. You know, is on the is on the uptick, and then you bring a, a veteran guy in, in Chris Carroll. But again, and not just a dude. You're seeing it on, on a lot of you know college um, teams where your assistants, you want them to be former players because they understand the Duke brand, they understand the Duke way, and it's easier for a former Duke player to talk to a current Duke player about how to be a Duke player, how to navigate through dealing with Coach K. All of these guys on the staff play for Coach K. And so now, when a kid comes in and he doesn't know his role or he's having situations and problems or, you know, he's just trying to figure his way, he can talk to one of the assistants who's been there and done that, and I think that just is, is invaluable. You know, another reason is guys like me. I mean, coach encourages, the assistants encourage guys like me to be around the program to talk to the guys who are currently there. We 
because, you know, they want to hear from us. You know, those little tidbits of information that we have about, you know, playing here at Duke, they want to hear. Maybe those tidbits can help them be a better basketball player. So it just keeps it all in-house, kind of that brotherhood type feel that, uh, that we talked about earlier as well. So I think it's good. Hey, Ricky, uh, a lot of these guys are guys that, that you played with the four years you were there, you know, Wojo, uh, Chris Carowell, Nate James, Jeff Cable. Like, when you guys get together and you golf, um, do you guys ever, like, discuss or talk or speculate about how much longer Coach K is going to go and, and who might be next? Or is that something that's just taboo and you guys don't talk about? Yeah, we talk about it some, and no one really knows. I mean, Coach, at 70 years old, still looks good. You know, he had a couple surgeries to repair the hip, the knees. So, you know, he's back, you know, to, to doing that. And, you know, I think he still enjoys it. He still has the fire. So as long as that's going to be the case. But realistically, I mean, you can't coach until you're 80. Right. You know, you can't coach until you're high 70s. And so I'm thinking, everyone is thinking it's more of a two- or three-year plan. Two- hmm. or three-year plan. You know, what the what the big question mark is, who's going to be the guy to replace him? And whoever it is, we talked about this before, I think, uh, on one of our other segments, is whoever it is, you know, he's going to be doomed because no one is going <laughs> to be able to fill the shoes, you know, that, 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 that he filled. And so if it's Jeff, if it's Wojo, if it's Chris Collins, if it's Bray, if it's Amaker, Johnny Dark, whoever you want to say, they're just not going to be able to fill those shoes. And so, um, you know, that's going to be a tough hire. You know, who's going to take the reins next? Uh, once coach retires but you know it's on guys minds but you know everyone thinks it's going to be two or three years um, so we'll see uh, speaking of sort of coach K getting up there do you think that his um, his game coaching his uh, do you think anything is like noticeably dropped off uh, you, you know do you, do you do you think there's a is there any is there any there there with uh, with that kind of thought or do you think he's still at the top of his game 100? percent Yeah, I think he's still incredibly sharp. One of the things that I loved about what he did this year was uh, was going to the zone. You know, traditionally we've never played zone. I played a Duke for four years, obviously, and I can't remember the last time we played zone. I mean, maybe the whole team was in foul trouble, and you know, we just had guys. Or I don't know, but I, I, we've never played zone. The fact of the matter that he can reinvent himself and have this team playing zone and end up in the top 10 in defensive efficiency at the end of the year is incredible. You know, this is this has always been a man-to-man program in terms of how we run our, our, our ship and, and how we do things defensively. And for him to shift the zone and still, you know, be effective in that regard, I thought was incredible. Um, you know, recruiting. You know, Jeff and everybody, you know, is in the forefront of that. But, you know, Coach K is still able to come in and close deals and connect with you know, 16 and 17 year olds in the recruiting game. And then, you know, um, you know being able to come with the times, you know, be, be one with the times, you know, now guys with more tattoos and, and, you know, facial hair and stuff like that and, and numbers, you know, wearing the numbers that they want to wear. I mean, these are all things that in the past, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't going to acquiesce on. Now, you know, he's letting guys, you know, be themselves more, on the basketball court. So he's reinvented himself time and time again. In terms of the in-game coaching, I think he's still comparable. I mean, I think maybe his sharpest years, you know, maybe behind him, you know, he was sharp at 70 as far at 40. I, I, I just can't believe it. But if it's anything at all, it's noticeable to me. You know, I think he did, he's, done a, he's done a pretty good job in-game coaching, recruiting, running the program and everything else. Um, 
you know, at 70 plus years old. So, yeah. you know, two or three more years, I think he'll still be coaching at a high level. So you're saying he policed your mustache when you were an undergrad? Is he, was he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember my freshman year, I had a, uh, I had a little team going to the youth right now, you gotta say. So, I mean, you know, I think I've beers now. And so, I mean, we've yeah. come a long, long way. I, I, I think I, I think I remember in 2010 uh, Brian Zubek was the first guy who was allowed to grow out a full-on beard they, they just said keep it groomed and keep it sort of clean looking but he was the first guy who ever had a full-on beard that seems uh, it seems yeah. incredible like uh, it seems so such an outdated idea in today's sort of uh, environment. But, but yeah, I mean, I guess he's made that adjustment. I, mean, I never really thought about cer- that. Certainly it speaks to his evolution and his adaptation. I, I feel like, you know, when we were students, he was like, I'm not going to hang any banners until every member on the team graduates. After the 2015 title, he's like, look, Jaleel, Tyus, Justice, I know you guys are going pro, but listen, don't make an asshole out of me. You guys need to go to class, finish out the semester strong. And now I feel like probably with the one-and-done culture, I mean, I'd be pretty surprised if, like, Jason Tatum or Brandon Ingram or uh, Marvin Bagley even finished out the semester. They're probably prepping for the NBA draft and getting ready. So I feel like it speaks to his constant evolution. Absolutely. And, you know, in order for you to be great and win 25, 30 games per year and, and continue to win titles and ACC tournament titles and ACC regular titles and all the accomplishments and games that he's won, you have to constantly reinvent yourself. And uh, sticking to your old ways is not going to work. And uh, I think he's been one of the best in the business at doing that. So if we can continue to get him to do that, as well as continue to get players to play at a high level, you know, have the right coaches, the coaching staff assemble to do that, you know, we're still going to be Duke. Um, And everything starts, you know, with him. Yeah, absolutely. was there anything else you wanted to touch upon for uh, for this past season? Anything coming up? Anything we, we should be thinking about that, you know, as uh, obsessive fans that we, we're not? Uh, you know, I know there's another recruit that we might get, EJ, EJ Williams, EJ Montgomery. 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 Uh, you know, what? Yeah, I've heard about EJ Montgomery. He is leaning towards us, I believe. Um, <laughs> but he's a guy that I don't necessarily think we need. I think if Marquise Bolden... You know, it's his time, you know, but I think getting EJ Montgomery is like an insurance policy because Bolton stays hurt. Um, you know, he's not as good as Wendell Carter or Marvin Bagley. I think he's more like Marquise Bolton. Uh, he'll be here, he'll be there two to three, two to three years, um, you know, which is not a bad thing, but, you know, he can help us, you know, uh, in the interior. Um, but he would keep solidify a big class for us. I think Carolina is on him as well. Kentucky's there, but everything that I've seen, all the reports that I've seen, says he's leaning towards Duke. You know, and if, I think the coach is now focusing. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, uh, that's good to hear. You know, we could probably use another another body. You know, uh, that that has, has talent. But I, I wonder, like back in the day, it seems like we used to get the occasional grad transfer, not grad transfer, uh, uh, JUCO transfer. You know, Rodney Hood most recently. Uh, or even transfers from another big program like uh, Sean Obi, who didn't really work out with his health, but Dante Jones, Rashawn McLeod, uh, all came in as transfers with some experience. Like, you know, I wonder, I wonder why we haven't sort of picked one up in the last couple of years when we could have used one. I guess they have to wait out a year, too, right? 
So it's not like you can. No, the grad transfers can play me. But Rodney Hood and the grad Don McLeod and Dante, they were all regular transfers. Right. right. They set out a year and then came in. But again, those guys do have experience. But I think because we've done so good on the recruiting trail in high school that, you know, there's not too many spots, you know, available. Yeah. And this time of year is always tough because you don't know who's going to stay and who's going to go. Um, but, you know, because of the recruiting style is that it's tough to stay um, knowing that, you know, there's other five-star caliber guys coming in behind you. And so, like we said, Trayvon Duval, I mean, he, he really can't stay because Trey Jones is coming in. And, uh, he doesn't want to come off the bench. Plan, yeah, for those guys, you know, to, to, to stay more than one year. Um, you know, Frank Jackson was a guy who I, I, who I thought, you know, could have been great on this year's team, but he wasn't necessarily a one-and-done guy. He was always a guy who I thought was going to be, you know, two, maybe three years. You know, because of Trayvon Duvall, because they recruited Trayvon Duvall right over him, I think it kind of pushed him out a little bit. And so, the, you know, the way that we're recruiting now, you know, we're recruiting you, you know, for basically one year. And then there's really no room for you after that unless it's a special situation. So, um, you know, it's just tough. It's just tough. I mean, recruiting like that is tough, but... If those guys are good enough to, to leave after one, then, you know, you, you, you let them go. So you see Bolden having a big, big role in next year's team starting. What about the other guys? What about Alex O'Connell? What about Jordan Goldwire? What about uh, Javin? Are these the guys that are going to kind of become a bit of the backbone of the program over the next year or two? Uh, who do you see kind of stepping up and being great in that that sort of role? Uh you know, who, who should we be looking well, for? I think of the three guys you mentioned, uh, Alex O'Connell has the best chance. You know, I really thought he had a good freshman year. He was solid. Um, I wish he would have played more down the stretch. And one of the reasons why I think we didn't do as well this year is we, we played guys too, play too many minutes. You know, for Grayson Allen to play 39, 38, 40 minutes a game is ridiculous. You know, that's why he wasn't as efficient towards the end of games because he played too many minutes. And so that's when a guy like Alex O'Connell step in and give you 10 to 12 minutes. Now Jason, now Grayson is down to 30, 32 minutes a game and can be fresh, especially towards the end of the game. Um, and so he has to he has to really show and improve and play a lot better than what he did and improve as a player. But I think he's a guy over the next four years that you can build on. Great shooter, great energy guy. Another guy's goal by. You know, heady point guard, solid, coming and play defense and spell a guy like Trey Jones. And then Javin, you know, he has to just improve in all aspects of his game. You know, he was a non-factor offensively. You know, guys didn't really guard him and pay him any attention. And I think that hurt us at times. So he needs to be in the gym, you know, taking thousands of jump shots so he can give us something offensively off the bench next year. Yeah, I was really surprised down the stretch in that Kansas game when Wendell Carter either was struggling with foul trouble or he had already fouled out. And Coach K went with Javin Delorier, who now we've got Delorier and Trayvon Duvall, who the defense can play totally off of. And I thought Alex O'Connell would have been a good good person to have in. Alex O'Connell spaced the floor every minute he was on the court in a way that those guys don't didn't. And uh yeah, I mean I, I, I agree. Like you talked about it earlier. Uh he I thought he should have played a lot more minutes. Even if he wasn't scoring directly himself, I think he was opening things up a little bit, you know, for the other guys. And he's a willing passer. A yeah. good passer too. Um yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year. Basically, we're gonna run it back with the whole new, whole new sort of uh, incoming class. We got all these new guys to talk about. We we think we know who they might be. 
we don't know who they are really until they get on the court and we, we, we see them play at this level. But, um, you know, you're right. Coach K has, I mean, he's never had a recruiting class this big, even though we've had incredible recruiting classes. Um, so, you know, are they going to live up? Are they going to... Are they going to play young? Are they going to? Are they going to play? You know, transcend that that limitation? You know, I guess we're going to see. Yeah, we'll find out. I feel like Villanova and Kansas are both going to be really excellent next year. Oh yeah, I looked at Kansas, man. Oof. The the transfers. The Newman stays. Yeah, they got transfers coming in, and they got you know Devon Dobson and some other guys. Yeah, uh, I don't think they're going to have a squad next year. Right. But having said that. You know, all the way to early top 25, they have us at number one. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, hard. it's crazy. It's crazy. I, I, this whole freshman thing bothers me, you know, because I just feel like you can't win with these guys, especially when you go start four or five freshmen at one time. I feel like you can't win with that. The, the, a good mix is to start two, maybe three freshmen, and then couple that with upperclassmen. And from the makeup of this year's team coming up, the Duke team coming up, we're still not going to have that. We're still going to have more freshmen who are our better players as opposed to having upperclassmen. And that's going to translate for highlights and ESPN following us and intrigue, but it doesn't resonate into championships. And so we really got to address that and look at that about how we can have a good mix so we can be in the hunt for a championship. You know, we were on the hunt this year, but on the outside looking at we weren't really in the hunt. Villanova was there. Michigan is there. You know, they got older guys. We, we, we weren't there because we had youth. Talented youth, but youth nonetheless. Yeah, we feel we feel the same way. You know, we're we're, we're sort of uh, all throughout the year. We we were sort of emotionally. Uh, we needed a lot of therapy. Conflicted. <laughs> we're conflicted about. How, you know, we do, it's hard to root for the guys as much when you don't know them and they're brand new and some of the guys that have been around generally just never step foot on the court or not as much as we'd like to see. Next year's going to be the same dynamic. Coach K, he does love to sort of ride his horses. Uh, so I'm hoping there'll be more of a balance, like you're suggesting. Uh, but, you know, I'm not super optimistic about it. <laughs> but who do you, who do you, Ricky, who do you think is going to be the captain next year? Oh, my goodness. That's a great question. Uh, you're probably going to go with a guy like Javin. He's been there the longest. You know, and he is a good locker room guy. You know, he, he's a great kid, actually. You know, but uh, if I had to bet, it would probably be him. Um, okay. Jack White, you know, is another older guy. But, you know, we just don't have a lot of a lot of senior leadership. And Javin, is Javin a senior this year? No, he'll be a junior, be a junior. along he'll with uh, Marquise. Yeah, I was I was actually thinking uh, Javin, but would it shock you if, if – if maybe he gave the captaincy to a freshman like Trey Jones, maybe? Or R.J. Barrett. No, I, I, I don't <laughs> see that happening. I don't see that happening. Um, freshmen never, you know, are a captain. It's always an, an older guy. Yeah. So, um, I would say Javin Marquise doesn't really have that locker room presence, but it could be him. I'm just looking for him to, to, to turn the corner. I mean, he came in as a top 15 guy. A lot of people had him as a one and done. You know, because of his sheer size and and uh, mobility, but you know he just hasn't developed into the guy that I need him to be, and that's a lot because of injuries, and it's a lot because of him. You know, this is the time. Wendell Carter's gone. Robin Baggy's gone. This is the time. There's no player, low post player. This is the time for him to seize the moment 
and become that go-to guy down low. And uh, I think our season depends on him. I'm not depending on EJ Montgomery. I'm, I'm depending on him, you know, to do that. So, well, and you know, uh, I mean, I'm hearing Z- the rest of those guys. I'm hearing Zion could could potentially play five, you know, and they have just a bunch of shooters around him. You know, it's like that an alternate as well. modern. That, that can happen as well. Yeah. I and mean, uh, that would be a shame because Marquise, you know, then wouldn't be in that mix. But ideally, Marquise, Marquise at the five, Zion at the four, Reddish and Barrett, and then Trey Jones. I mean, that's your money lineup. That's your money lineup. Ricky, maybe you went, maybe you take Mark. Yes. Ricky, you weren't pleasantly surprised by Marquise's last maybe dozen games. I mean, I know he got limited minutes. Yeah, he actually looked better, uh, right? He looked, he, looked, he looked good, you know, he, but he had some stints where, you know, I still saw him struggle. Yeah. The biggest thing with him is, you know, his motor. Like, Marvin Bagley, that's what I love most about him. He has that incredible motor. You know, he can run for days. Yeah. And days and days. You know, Marquise Bowden can only give you a small sample size, um, you know, and, and, and struggles at times. Okay. Yeah, I, I I was somewhat disappointed by uh, Bolden in the first half of the season, but I thought the last, down the stretch, um, you know what whatever minutes he got, 10, 12 minutes, I you know he was he was making defensive plays, he was making offensive plays. Um, hopefully that'll translate to next year. Hopefully he will become that uh, the centerpiece of the paint. Yeah, I mean he's an example of a guy who was one and done, but. It's very clear he, he, he I don't know if he if he went out for the draft this year I don't know if he would be drafted. Uh, his limitations on no, the defensive he, end and the NBA he's not, game. He's not even on the draft board, and, and yeah. he was playing like a two and done type of guy. So he, so, um, so you know, yeah. Occasionally somebody comes in, maybe they get injured, maybe they just disappoint, maybe they're not. You know, it, we could have if we are sort of recruiting a new set of four, five, six of these guys every year. Maybe just naturally one every year or two kind of doesn't isn't able to go along that path um and maybe that's where we get some of that some of that veteran presence you know from a guy like bolden you know who has a different career trajectory than 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 you would have thought uh hey it's it's been an hour we should probably let you go uh there was one guy i wanted to ask you about for an nba comp uh before we, we do let you go and that's uh wendell carter who do you Whose game do you think he, you know, what, what would be the comp in your mind for Wendell? Have you, something you've been able to put him on this year? Oh, I love Wendell Carter. Wendell Carter's one of my favorite players uh, this year. He clearly was uh, our best low post player. Um, you know, he has polished offensive moves up and unders, great footwork. And he surprised me with his touch at the three point line, being able to, you know, hit so many threes from the top of the key in a trailer position. Incredible rebounder, incredible shot blocker. I mean, he uh, he's going to have a very productive um, NBA career. I mean, if he's not a top five, top seven, top eight pick, then it's wrong. Um, you know, is there a chance he's better? Is there a chance he's better than Bagley in the pros? Uh, possibility, yeah, yeah. I mean, Bagley has world class athleticism which separates him from everybody else. Even DeAndre Ayton doesn't have that type of athleticism. The best players have always been the most athletic guys. And so, uh, you know, he has to be able to, uh, but, you know, Wendell Carter is pretty athletic himself. Sure. So uh, I expect him to have a really good career 
I'm at the next level. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy watching both of those kids play, especially uh, Wendell Carter, since we're talking about him. And I guess we should just quickly ask you about Gary Trent uh, in the pros. Is there someone he reminds you of? Or obviously he's got like a very specific skill set. Um, Believe it or not, he reminds me a lot of Trajan. Trajan Langmas. Um, Ricky, I asked you about that before the season. I said, "Does he is he like Trajan? And you told me no. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know what? I have to recant that. You know, I think you think you're more right. I think Trey still suits it just a bit better, but you know, as Gary Trent stayed four years, he'd have a chance to uh, to break records like like Trajan did. Um, they're both, you know, not very athletic, good athletes, but not great athletes. Really strong, um, heady players. Um, I think Gary is an overall better scorer than Trajan was, but Trajan is a better shooter. Uh, I think Gary Trent's going to be a good guy. He'll come off the bench and give you something. Um, you know. He's coming into an NBA that, that, that does exactly what he needs and does well, and that shoots the basketball from three. And so he'll be able to do that, so and I think that's good. Yeah, I, 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 liked, I liked Gary Trent a lot all year, but I've never liked him more than at the end of the Syracuse game. Um, there seemed to be no doubt that he was going to go to the free throw line and switch those two free throws. He was just, if you just read his body language, he was so poised and ready for it. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if Trajan uh, coming into this day, today's NBA would have a much better chance to su- succeed. He had a really successful international career. But uh, it just seems like it's lined up for shooters. And, you know, back in the day, I, I, you know, I think it was sort of stacked against him a little bit in a way that it's not today. So if Gary Trent's like Trajan but a little, a little more overall game, I think he's, he's, he might be well-suited to make an impact in the league, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think he's an NBA player. He has the lineage. His dad played. And he, and he prepares and practices like a pro. I mean, he does everything for life. And um, they're going to love that about him at the next level, smart kid. So, I mean, all, 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 all five of those guys are going to be able to play at a high level. So, uh, you know, Gary Trent, Wendell Carter should be first-round picks in my eyes. Marvin Bagley for sure. And then Trayvon Duvall and Grayson Allen. You know, if we can get all five in the first round, that just makes our case for when it done even, even better for the next crop. So we should be rooting for that because it, it looks good for the program, right? Uh, Any chance that Coach K says what Coach Cal said? This is the greatest day in Duke history if they all go in the first round. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> no chance. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thanks so much for for coming on, Ricky. Uh, love having you on. Your 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 experience, knowledge. Yeah. Thanks so thanks for being so generous with your time yeah. and your knowledge. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. I told you that. Anytime you want to talk Duke, I'm your guy. We can do that. Uh, I'm sure the offseason not much going on, but you know if you guys want to chat, man, just give me a shot. Okay, and uh, do you want to want to plug your your uh, coaching facility in, in Charlotte real quick before we go? What's going on oh, with absolutely. that? Game ready skills and development training, uh, camp clinics, individual training, small group training, uh, agility training right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, our big summer basketball camp is coming up June 11th, uh, the week of June 11th, and the week of June 18th. Uh, spots are open now. Registration is open. Uh, we love to see people if you're in the Charlotte area. And, um, you know, basketball is, is king here in North Carolina. We like to play, so. What ages What ages are the camps uh, eligible? Uh, we go 9 to 16. 
Okay. If you guys have uh, have kids anywhere within driving distance of Charlotte, you want to send somebody uh, somebody with the the right stuff to help improve their game. Send them the game ready skills. The camps are in June. Game ready skills and development. And what's the website, Rick? Uh, web, website is gameReadySD.com. GameReadySD.com. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, good luck. Have a great uh, spring, and uh, we'll hopefully talk to you talk to you soon. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right, All right thank, guys. thank you. Tank Jackson. Yeah, so, man, I love when Ricky comes on. It's He made some really good points. He, I don't think he listens to the podcast on an every week basis, but it was pretty validating that he agreed with a lot of the stuff we, yeah. we, we, I mean, we he talk agree, about. He agreed on the distribution of playing time, minutes, um, more minutes for O'Connell, shooting, spacing, uh, the... The point that he brought up that made me think the most was, you know, how this team would have played if Frank Jackson was on the squad. You know, because Trey, sure. Trey struggled. He got benched for a game or two. Um, I mean, Frank, point guard, certainly decision-maker, much better shooter. I mean, Frank took Better defensive t- player, I think, a little yes. bit. Uh, uh, well, he yeah. wasn't – he had his moments, but, but – He's more of like a solid athlete. I don't know how to put it. They're, they're but, both good athletes, but yeah. I, I I never looked at Frank Jackson and said, wow, this guy is not fundamentally sound defensively. Yeah, Duval would have had much less to shoulder, and it would have been it would have been smoother the whole year. Clear, have three guys that are really good clear, lead clearly guards. Clearly you know? a huge shooting disparity. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good point. It's Def- a really good point. Defense wouldn't have been able to slough off him. Yeah, and he's the guy, you know, and it's a shame that Frank Jackson goes to the NBA, breaks his foot, he's out the whole year. I mean, who knows? You just don't know what would have happened. Maybe would have, maybe that foot was going to break no matter what. He right. would have come back to Duke and had to sit out the whole year, and then he would have had to stay another year yeah. in order to, to you know. And I, and I feel like the, when uh, Ricky was discussing it, the, the time frame was a little, a little you know, he was saying that um, – Trayvon coming pushed Frank out, but I think if I remember correctly, Trayvon was a late um, announcement. I think Trey was actually waiting to hear that Frank Jackson was leaving for the right. NBA. I don't think Trey would have come. Right. Uh, yeah. Most so, like, most likely. So, yeah. So things would have played come. played that's, out differently. That's true. We wouldn't have had both on the team probably no matter what. Um. Yeah. What did you th- What did you think of what he had to say about the coaches? I mean, um, the coaching changes. Uh, anything surprise you there? That's sort of kind of what I expected him yeah, to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say eventually, like, everyone has to take care of themselves. You yeah. know, like, they're they're happy to put in the time and they're happy to put in the requisite waiting period. You know, Chris Carroll was some type of special assistant at Duke, and then he was, like, uh, an assistant coach on the Duke women's squad. Um, Nolan Smith is still not even really an assistant coach, but, you know, there's sort of an understanding that if you put in the time, you do – the grunt work, you're like a graduate assistant, then eventually you're going to have your opportunity. What's, what's interesting is that, you know, our my tendency is to just think of these guys as the guys on TV, on the bench, yeah. you know, and that's their whole lives. They're just in the Duke program, and they, they were players, and now they're assistants. But the truth is they have a deep and meaningful lives beyond the program. <laughs> they have wives, children. They have to figure out where to live, how long to stay where they live, and it could have been that Jeff needed to settle down for a while after moving around. You know, 
you know, and that's what it, was, it could have been uh, just personal reasons. His father was sick. Yeah. He, he probably needed to be in the area, you know. Um, you know, so it's interesting. I didn't know that he was seriously considered for the Georgetown job, or I don't remember, I didn't remember that. Yeah. Uh, but that, that was an interesting insight. And, you know, uh, I, I hope Chris Carwell's successful. I hope Jeff's successful. And it just sounds like, it seems to me, the major implication of Jeff Capel leaving Duke right now is that there are no, we, we can feel pretty safe that there's no immediate plans for Coach K to exit stage left this year, next year. You know, he says two or three years, probably more like two to five years, uh, but at least two years. Yeah. Because I think if he was going to leave, he wouldn't have let Capel leave to sign a seven-year deal with, with Pitt. You know, unless uh, I mean, unless that's just not his plan. Yeah. You know, if Capel's not the guy, um, but you know, I, I I definitely would not. Coach K doesn't need to decide. Yeah, I don't think I would interpret it as Capel going to Pitt means he's not the guy. Well, I don't think so either. I think the, I think it's I think it's what it means. Coach, coach K is like it's open ended. How long I'm going to coach? I don't this, know. You know, right. I'm going to reassess after every year. But you know, how do you say I'm only going to coach for three more years? I think we can know. Like we thought last year when he had that extra surgery and was like, well, you know what? Maybe this. Maybe Coach K is going to physically have to leave. At uh, some hand point, it off. at some point, he at some will point, he will. <laughs> have have the clipboard just ripped out of his hands. But yeah, I, I, when when the news broke that Capel was going to pit, my first thought was, we got at least two more years of Coach K. Yes, you know, probably more like three, um, you know, and perhaps more. Uh, so we can we can table all these discussions, and we can probably just track you know and follow the progress of Wojo. Cable, Dawkins, Amaker, sure, uh, Chris Collins, you know, whoever. Yeah. Uh, it was a little bit of a down year for, I guess, compared to last year's heights for Collins and Wojo. I think Collins you know. struggled with injury. Yeah. His team did. Uh, the other, the other thing I wanted to bring up that we uh, we didn't talk about with Ricky uh, is Quinn Cook. Yeah. Quinn Cook has, uh, you know, showing out. He's been showing out for the Warriors. Be- you know, primarily the reason is the Warriors had all their starters injured and out. And if you looked at the box scores, you know, for a few games there, there there was really nobody. Yeah. You know, there was no one who you recognize. Maybe Iguodala. Even Iguodala isn't, isn't playing all the games. So Draymond was out. Clay Thompson was out. Steph Curry was out. But, the, you know, even without all of those guys out, uh, I think Quinn Cook's sort of established a beachhead for his success in the NBA. Um, I, I I don't. He so had a thirty-point game, right? With the two-way contracts, yeah. can another team just say, "Hey, we want to sign this guy to a two-year deal," or are they not allowed to do that? Gosh, I, I don't know exactly what the commitment is. I think, yeah, I just don't know. I, I don't know. But what I do know is that his stock is stock has to be up. Yeah. So he was doing it in the G League, but you know that's one thing. Right. But to come into the, you know come into the NBA, start for a team like the Warriors, just. Shoot Other teams o- are good. over 40% from three. He scored 20 in three straight games, and then three games later he scored 30. Now, his average isn't that high. He's not, he's not averaging 20 a game. But, you know, he started, and he's basically started like 10, 10 to 12 games for the Warriors yeah. and played pretty well. And, yeah, his shooting percentage 
has been very good. Right. <laughs> uh, what's he shooting? He's shooting 43% from three, 49% from two, 90% from the free throw line. He's a, basically a 90-50-40 player, which, which is... Which is supposed to be... Hall of Fame level, you know, I mean, right. over... Like a, a season that happens once every yeah. 10, 12, 15 years. Yeah. Now, he hasn't done it over an entire season. Right. A lot of his minutes have been against sort of bench units, but still... What's most interesting I mean, to come me on. when I track Quinn Cook is his awareness of who is on the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, like we talk about this alpha dog mentality when all these studs come together and play, like when Jason Tatum is with Luke Kennard and Grayson Allen, like who's going to shoot. When Quinn's out there with a bunch of, when everyone's injured, I mean, he's looking to shoot. When when Clay's out there, he's looking to distribute a little bit more. When Clay and Katie's out there, He's almost not really looking to shoot that much unless it's a wide open three because he knows that KD and Clay are the primary shooters. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's really interesting. Like, I, I don't know what his free agent status is. I guess he might be sort of committed and sort of pigeonholed with the Warriors for another year after this. There's a chance of that. I'm not sure. I don't know. But what's what's interesting is there's a real chance Quinn Cook's the best player from that championship team in the NBA when all is said and done. like Much like Steph Curry sort of taking the circular route to the NBA. But, you know, with Okafor, Okafor is basically getting completely disrespected by the Nets right now. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent, so he'll have a chance somewhere next year. Justice Winslow's playing pretty decently well on the Heat, but he's not exactly a star. And uh, Tyus Jones has, has been good in minutes for you know he's really locked up the backup point guard role right. in Minnesota he's been very effective his advanced stats are good I think he has a future in the league as well but there's a chance Quinn Cook ends up being the best Quinn Cook the is best probably still going to be a backup point guard no it's just opportunistic that Most he has this opportunity where he can just come in well here's the thing ball don't lie Right? If he keeps producing, yeah, he might have a backup point guard next year. He might not get a big contract, his next contract. But, you know, he's still only 24, 25 years old. And he's he guy has a potential another eight years in the league. And if, you know, if he deserves it, if, if he's good enough, and it seems like maybe he is, yeah, there's a chance. Before the season, I would have told you there was like a 1-3% chance that would be true. Now I'm thinking... 20% chance he's he's the guy with the best career out of those guys. Maybe higher. Like, there's a real shot. On the 2015 squad? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just pretty cool. Have you heard of somebody named Grayson Allen? <laughs> Grayson Allen, I guess, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knew that the guy with, Emil, with the or, most points in the 2010 team would be Lance Thomas? <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, nobody would have guessed that. That's true. It's true. Right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny what happens with NBA careers and... You know, successes and failures. A lot of it seems uh, unpredictable. Uh, you know, so I guess uh, I guess we'll get into Duke in the NBA uh, maybe in our next podcast because the playoffs are coming up. We can recap the year, talk about sort of who, you know, who's done well, who's disappointed. Sort of check in on all the guys from the last year or two of one and dones. Okay, and we haven't talked about a lot of these guys all year. Um. And uh, then we'll, we'll talk about the NBA draft, and we'll see who actually declares for the draft. I mean, Ricky says he doesn't think any of the guys are coming back, but yeah, we'll see. I actually didn't. You know, there's a chance. I, I also chance. didn't realize uh, Gary Trent played a few years with uh, Trey Jones 
in uh, in Minnesota. Okay, yeah, I didn't I didn't know that either. Apple, Val- Apple, Apple, Apple Valley, Valley or something like that. Oh, they were in the same high school. I know they were from the same area. I didn't realize. Maybe I've forgotten. Yeah, uh, I, I just looked up Quinn Cook's free agent status here, and it just says NA on Real GM. So I, I think they don't they don't have the two way contracts sort of uh, programmed in. Okay, well, uh, everybody, thanks for thanks for listening. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the Ricky's insights and uh, perspective. Uh, it's probably great to hear from someone other than us for uh, most of the podcast. And um, well, uh, it was a, you know it was a pretty decent year. It was a, definitely an interesting year. I mean, uh, I was disappointed, if, but if, if, if I was, I mean, losing in the NCAA tournament is that arguably the worst day of the year every year. On a trivial level, as long as you know nothing serious happens in life, it, it, I'm definitely mopey for a while. I certainly felt better about this loss than uh, than last year's South Carolina loss. Yeah, I mean, especially one, seeing how good one Tatum shot is away, the one shot away from the Final Four, one rim out. We really should have yeah. closed that one out. We almost got there, we but you know, maybe it was for the better. Maybe Villanova just watches us like they did in 2009. Uh, I would have preferred. To get to the Final Four. Yeah, Although it would have sure. cost me some money to get to San Antonio and check it out. Yeah. We uh, All right. Well, um, again, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back in a week or two, you know, sometime in the next couple weeks. Month, to, month or two. Yeah. No, the NBA drafts in, wow, 10 weeks. Yeah. Summer League and NBA draft uh, NBA draft, preview. Summer League, Who's who's going out, whether there's any other recruiting information. We'll probably do two or three podcasts. You know, leading up total in the next two, two and a half months. I'm sure you guys are holding your breath, but we'll come back to you (laughs) either in a week or two or a month or two. All right. Thanks again. Uh, Signing off. Go Duke. Go Duke.